today on Ag News Daily. This is what makes it so unpredictable in a lot of ways. Is that these are all supply chain problems, right? And I'm going to see, like here in Ontario, we're starting to see problems in the Quebec plants and all email centers. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined here by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? I'm not too bad, Mike. It's uh, still kind of dreary outside. I don't know how planting is going to go for farmers this year, but I'm planting a garden, so I've also been watching the weather forecast, and I can't say I'm too excited about it at all. Delaney Howell, big-time operator. Are you going to grow some seed corn and sell it on the, uh, the streets <laughs> of uh, Treyer? No, nope. Just going just gonna to grow some whatever, vegetables, fruits, etc., for my own personal enjoyment. All right. Well, good for you, Delaney Howell, big-time operator. I like it. I'm not sure I have a green thumb, so this is going to be a good test to find that out. It will. But Delaney, before we talk more about your garden, which I think we're probably going to talk about for the rest of the summer as it grows <laughs> and, and is successful, you should put a webcam on it. We can make it a segment on the uh, website. Oh, okay. I could do that. Yeah, but I wanted to send a quick focus to your hometown. Did you hear the news out of Columbus Junction? No. Tyson Foods is closing the slaughterhouse in Columbus Junction after 24 cases of COVID-19 were found in employees in the facility. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be closed. Basically, they're going to close the facility. They're going to clean it and then reopen. Um, And those employees are going to go home. I assume they're going to test the rest of the employees um, but this facility, that one down there in, uh, in CJ, kills 10,100 hogs a day. I didn't realize it was that big. That's 2% of the country's total slaughter capacity. Yeah, I mean, I knew we had a really large facility because we just get so much truck traffic through there that our Casey's um, gas station is one of the most profitable in the entire U.S. So I'm trying to think, maybe 10 years ago, not quite 10 years ago, they totally remodeled the Casey's because they had so much truck traffic going through there because you have to pass right by this Casey's to get to Tyson. So I'm really not surprised by that. But up until about, I want to say Thursday or Friday of this week, we did not have any cases confirmed or reported in the county of Loiza County, which is where Columbus Junction is located. And then I... No, we had one at the end of last week that was confirmed and reported, but 24, 25 cases over the weekend is a lot for Louisa County. It is. And a lot of folks are saying, don't read a whole lot into this. Louisa County probably had a lot last week. They just weren't testing. Now tests are more readily available, so they're kind of getting caught up on, uh, on I guess, who all they can test, I suppose, is the, the way they're doing it. Um, but we do have other Iowa livestock slaughter news, uh, National Beef Packing Company, uh, which runs the plant in Tama, Iowa, said they are closing that plant for a week. Um, they said this was cleaning. It was scheduled for later this month. They've gone ahead and bumped it up. And so they're going to shut the plant down and clean. So that plant, I forget the kill capacity there. I want to say it's like 1,200 a day. Um, is going to be shut down for a week. So we got some Iowa meat news to uh, start the podcast here, Delaney. Well, I'm going to continue going through some meat-related news because at the end of last week, this slipped through my radar a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I brought it up. Looking at facilities that are 
interested in making amends for their employees who have to continue to work during this interesting time. We saw five federal employees, including a food safety and inspection service inspector, have sued the federal government for hazard pay for working during the coronavirus crisis. They've said in their lawsuit that they are representing a class of federal employees who have been exposed to objects, surfaces, or individuals infected with the virus since January 27th. So they're essentially asking for a 25% hazard pay because of their exposure, as well as a 4 to 8% increase for their wage-grade employees, who I believe are other employees have been working with hazardous microorganisms. The attorney, the plaintiff's attorney that's in charge of this case, that was really hoping that this will set a precedent across the United States for those facilities like the ones in Columbus Junction and Tama and elsewhere that are continuing to run or considering whether or not they should run to consider increasing the wages paid out to those workers who are putting their safety and their family's safety at risk to make sure that the supply chain continues to have enough fresh protein or produce products. You know, it's interesting. This safety at slaughter plant or safety at any facility that's still operating here in the COVID-19 days is one that's been percolating. I know that uh, in Joslin, there's a meatpacking plant there and several employees walked out last week and uh, kind of picketed a little bit for uh, for safer food. So listeners, if any of you are connected with these employees that have these concerns or, or these attorneys that want to talk about these concerns, um, drop us a note. Find us on Facebook. It's an issue that's it's kind of fraught because we need food supply. We, you know, our, we don't want to see the packing, you know, house shut down. If that's going to hurt producers, it's going to hurt consumers and everything. But uh, give us a call. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at Ag News Daily on there or on Instagram. Uh, drop us a note. Tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods because this is going to be a bigger and bigger issue as this coronavirus thing spreads, Lady. It absolutely is, Mike. Another big piece of news that has been interesting nonetheless to watch, but also a little scary, has been the spike in unemployment. As you believe, I believe you shared with us last week on the podcast, we saw really a huge, huge increase in Mm -hmm. unemployment. About 6.6 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits just last week, which exceeds really any period of time we've ever had. The interesting new piece of information I found today that economists are expecting as many as 20 million people to file for unemployment by the end of April, which would put us at an unemployment rate at about 15% just in this month alone, and put us well ahead of the recession unemployment rate that was in 1982, which was at about 10.8%. Oh, boy. And just think, in the month of February, it was just released, unemployment was 3.5%. So this is just exploding. And, uh, you know, the hope is this will be a V. We'll see unemployment spike, or an A, I suppose, to reverse V. Unemployment's going to spike. We're going to lick this virus. Everything's going to go back to work. But I tell you, it it is frustrating for a lot of people out there trying to make ends meet in this time of quarantine, Delaney Howell. It is some scary and interesting stuff. It is. But I tell you what, Delaney, something we haven't talked about in a long time is a shortage of ethanol. And there is one. Do you think that's what? what, Really? There is in Switzerland. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So basically, I thought this was an interesting story. Listeners, don't get your hopes up. We are still seeing ethanol margins collapse in this country. Ethanol is, is really, really struggling. But here's an opportunity for perhaps a few you know, gallons of, of exports looking out into the future. Uh, Switzerland, about two and a half years ago, made the decision to get rid of its emergency reserve of ethanol which was weird because Switzerland has emergency reserves of everything. So they'd like to stay neutral during wars. They like to kind of be their own little island right there in Central Europe. Um, but for whatever reason, they got rid of 10,000 tons of ethanol. And ethanol, as, as Delaney has talked about on the podcast, is crucial for making what, Delaney Howell? I think my disinfectant or hand sanitizers. Is that right? You are exactly correct. So the Swiss are running out of disinfectant. Uh, just as we're running out of toilet paper, their store shelves are empty, and uh, you know, as people stocked up and everything, and Swiss politicians are frustrated, just like politicians here, by people stockpiling, but there's nothing we can do. And uh, so over there in Switzerland, their breweries have started making uh, raw ethanol so they can kick in and uh, hopefully rebuild their stockpiles. But Swiss, if you're listening... Give us a holler. we got a ton of ethanol we'd love to put on the ship and send your way. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But the other thing, of course, is kind of the counter partner to ethanol has been oil. We saw oil prices drop over the weekend, especially Sunday, as we saw that OPEC and Russia have delayed their virtual meeting to discuss supply cuts. They've delayed that meeting until April 9th, but it was definitely a bit of a blow to the oil markets today. Yes. Yeah, a bit of a blow indeed. And that certainly uh, weighed a little bit on the, the corn market in particular, as we'll see when we get to the markets. But um, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news, because I know we have a bunch of listeners up in Wisconsin. If you haven't heard yet, the primary election scheduled for uh, tomorrow has been postponed until June 9th because of the coronavirus outbreak. So if you're planning on going to the polls, you can save that time and I, I guess continue to stay in your house quietly sheltering at home sheltering at home all right mike well i just had one other quick uh, two other quick pieces of news as well the first is looking at u.s beef and pork exports we saw some february numbers come out according to the u.s meat export federation and we saw huge huge exports for the month of February, totaling 273,000 metric tons of pork, which is 46% more than February of 2019. We also saw pretty large shipments of U.S. beef, about 112,000 metric tons, which was an 18% increase year over year. So we are seeing those products get shipped out of the United States border as more people are looking to have some food security. Fantastic. That's what we like to see. That's how we're going to rebuild demand amidst a very, very large, or not rebuild demand, but continue to satisfy demand amidst a very, very large supply. Before you get to your last story, I just have one quick update. The soybean harvest in Brazil has hit 83%. Um, and that was as of April 2nd. They got 7% done this last week. They're exceeding the five-year average, and they're just a percentage point behind last year's record pace. So those beans are coming on to the market. Delaney, what is your final news story for the day? My final news story, and it's not really news because we've already talked about it on the podcast, and we're going to continue to talk about it with Glenn Burnmom, who is a tax aficionado or expert, if you will. But uh, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, which is kind of a mouthful to say, application process is now open 
for about $349 billion in forgivable loans. Of course, those are being directed more towards covering those payments that you would make to employees to ensure that you can continue employing those people. But there's a lot of frustration out there right now about link portals not being open to process those applications, as well as just not a lot of clarity given about how those are going to work. So as we continue to watch that, Glenn Birnbaum is continuing to watch that. We're going to have him on the podcast either later this week or into next because farmers, you are eligible. If you have a payroll, including yourself, you're eligible to receive part of these stimulus package application loans. If you are an LLC, right? That's the aura right. of corporation. Well, so that's, be a business entity. that's my assumption, but Glenn might clarify it oh. differently for us. Fantastic. Folks, stay tuned. We'll bring it to you soon because this is the stuff that matters when Uncle Sam is handing out dollars. You don't want to be too proud. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I guess not, especially when unemployment is almost 7 million people. It's 10 million because we had 3.4 two oh, weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry, ago, you're right. Record, That's true. Yep. And then 6.6 .6 last week. So it is uh, it is definitely tough times for a lot of folks. If we can keep people employed, that's good for our local economies. And that's what we need to see. Absolutely. Well, we do have some green on the screen, which I know a lot of our producer friends like to see when we talk markets. So let's get into that, Delaney. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. If you want help hedging your production, managing your risk in these volatile times, give them a call or visit their website. It's right there in their name. It's agmarket.net. In the corn market, that pressure on crude oil continued to spill over into corn. We saw a couple of uh, bounces off of new contract highs. Or excuse me. Whoa, boy, that'd be fun. No, new contract lows uh, this today. But uh, prices were down overall. Looking at the May corn contract, we were down three cents at 327 and three quarters. December new crop down two and a half to finish the day at 348 and a quarter. Soybeans were higher on the day. We saw May up one and a quarter to finish at 855 and a half. November new crop up three and three quarter cents, closed the day at 865 and a quarter. Chicago wheat was up big in the overnight, but it scaled back during the day, still closed in the green. The May contract was up six and a half cents at 555 and three quarters. December up five and three quarters to close the day at 560 even. Jumping over to livestock, we did see mixed trade today in livestock. Looking at live cattle, we had the June contract down 55 cents at 80.30. August live cattle up 52.5, finishing the day at 84.82 half. In feeder cattle, it is all green on the screen. The May contract was up $1.20 to close at 109.30. August up $2.75, finishing at 116.50. And hogs, big movers on the day. The May contract Again, trading limit because we closed limit down on Friday, uh, expanded limits, excuse me. The May was up $4.15 to finish at 45.37 half. The June up $1.32 half to close the day at 49.65. Quick look at the dairy markets we discussed on Friday's podcast. If you missed it, dairy had a very volatile day, was down a lot earlier in the day, but closed, uh, well, mixed. The April contract was down 19 cents at 13.88, while May was up eight to close the day at 12.26. For our interview today, we are talking to economist up north there in Canada, Matthew Potts. Well, for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode, we are talking with our Canadian friend, Matthew Pot, author of the Grain Perspectives newsletter, Matt. You're up there in Canada and the Ontario area. What is it? Go what is going on? How long have you guys been in quarantine? And what is the general sentiment around ca Canada's economy and agricultural system? 
Yeah, well, these last three weeks in quarantine have been the longest year of our lives down here in Canada. Um, yeah, we're seeing, and it keeps on getting more and more strict. It started off as um, people coming in from Canada after quarantine for 14 days by law. Um, now everything it keeps on closing more and more businesses where all the essential businesses are still open. Now that list keeps on getting narrower and narrower over time, right? And we also get these texts sent to us. I don't know if you get the mass texts in the U.S. come to your phone or the alerts that say... We do. Like, reminder that you need to stay home, right? Um, this virus is extremely serious or, and can be deadly. Stay home in your house, right? And then, yeah, so I think it's all pretty much the same that way, right? It is. And Matt, I want to ask you a question. One of the things we saw down here when the shelter in place and quarantine rules were put into effect was uh, kind of a mad rush to the grocery store. And we saw beef and pork and toilet paper and all sorts of things just completely sold out and uh, really drove retail prices a lot higher. Did you guys have a similar experience in Canada? Yeah, well, we had that initial batch. I forget when that was. Probably about two, three weeks ago. And then every so often, the grocery stores, it seems to be supply chain shocks again and again, right? Um, that and toilet paper. We couldn't find toilet paper for a couple weeks here down in Burlington area. And, um, yeah, and so we have limitations on their things like, you know, commodities. Like sometimes cans is a big one in the grocery store where you can only buy so many cans for family, toilet paper, milk, um, and some meats as well, right? So it's the same that way. Hmm. Interesting. It's been kind of some crazy unprecedented times. And Matt, I know that you are following the economic side of things very closely when it comes to not just commodity markets, but also the economy, jobs, stimulus packages, etc. As you look at things today, are we heading into a recession? I mean, realistically... Probably, yeah, well, if we're not already there already. Now, here in Canada, we were actually already looking at some um, a potential weakness heading into this whole situation. So we ended 2019 on a weak um, quarter, and now all of a sudden all of this happens. And for an export-dominant or dependent country, that's pretty significant, right? And when you see these kind of disruption shocks in economies, it's um, you're taking away a pile of... Basically, you're taking people out of markets in a lot of ways. What percentage of people in the U.S. and Canada live paycheck by paycheck, right? And now the government's going in trying to throw money at that to try and make that stop, right? And when you start seeing this type of disruption, what we don't know yet, and this is already, this is going to be something to watch. It's going to be the consumer sentiment numbers that come out over the next month now, because that's really what drives the economy, right? If this continues into shutdown for another month and a half, um, which is definitely within the cards right now, um, how does the consumer react? And it's not like that, those consumers are just going to get up and go on a plane or um, go to a restaurant necessarily, right? It could be something that we don't know how long this is going to take yet. Gotcha. It is, yeah, that consumer sentiment, how consumers are feeling about the future of the economy is going to be a huge factor going forward, but it's also a factor in the commodities. As uh, Ted Seifert likes to say, we trade futures, 
not nows. And we continue to see the corn market under pressure. And up there in Canada, you're intimate with the crude oil market, which has certainly been devastating out there in Western Canada. Um, bring us up to speed. What's your thought on corn as you look out to the future, Matt? I think corn is some, it's just not looking good right now, right? And we could still see some near-term near, um, pressure. We're dealing with the ethanol problem. And when you look at it, the corn market's probably your best indication about how long the market thinks that this economy is going to be shut down. Because when really when you're looking at the corn market, we can argue about increased feed demand potential and these other things over time. Um, but what we're looking at right now is it's being caused by the fact that your streets in Chicago are empty, your streets here are empty. And what does that mean for ethanol backup? I mean, the ethanol markets already had enough concerns or concerns heading into this. And so now you're dealing with the fact that we saw ethanol production fall by 100, I forget what it was last week, 165,000 barrels a day or something like that, right? And so we're dealing with in the U.S., and so we're dealing with ethanol plant shutdowns. And that's something that um, becomes a very interesting part of the market, right? Um, your elasticity of demand in energy is a lot different than that in food, I guess would be the way to think about it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that makes sense, but I guess I want to go again back to looking at the demand for ethanol and demand for oil and all that, because I, I'm just absolutely fascinated and fixated on this as we look at the economy and recession issues and just being st stuck at home. You know, usually the thought is that during a time of economic recession, agriculture tends to do better. Or maybe some of the speculation, the funds, they shift and decide to start playing into the commodity markets. But I guess with ethanol so upside down right now, with oil at such low prices, is that sentiment safe to assume during this time of perhaps an economic recession that we will see those people enter the ag commodities and push corn or soybeans or whatever commodity higher, even though those other things are happening, those other fundamentals are at play? Well, we saw that in the wheat market, right? The wheat market had this rally, and essentially the way that I like to think about that wheat market rally, it's very much assuming the fact that countries are going to start to hoard wheat like we did with toilet paper, right, to try to protect themselves. And that's going to be my simple way of looking at what we saw in the wheat market. The problem with the corn market, and I saw this quote, I forget where, like, remember in economics class, we used to always talk about widgets? A widget's just yeah, absolutely. something that you're trying to sell, right? Um, and what I mean, when, when you're looking at widgets necessarily, and this is the problem with the ethanol, is when you have nowhere to put ethanol, you can't just keep on producing it, right? So... The demand, a widget, you can price a widget at whatever price that you really wanted to, but if there's no one's going to buy it, what's going to happen, right? And so that's the problem what we're seeing with the corn market is how heavily invested it is in the energy markets right now that creates this problem. And that's something that the market's going to have to work its way through, right? And that's something that is going to lead with the front months. It's going to basically the fact of the matter is when you look at like the stock reports from last week in the U.S., right? And I mean, the quarterly stocks on March 1st were down 660, well, what was it, 665 million bushels or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So your, your commercials in the U.S. at that time, when you look at that, your commercials were actually holding around 20 million more bushels than a year ago at this time, while your producers were holding a lot less. 
you're dealing with the situation and the fact that your commercials are actually holding more corn than a year ago. And now you're dealing with these demand problems, right? And so all these things don't look great on the short term. Now, things start to change depending on how long this shutdown lasts for, right? And of course, the acre problems and the weather problems. So right now, it's just really tough on the corn market, I guess you could say. It is. It is tough. Well, it's tough on every market, uh, with the exception, as you mentioned, of wheat. But as you take a look at the soybean market, Matt, um, you know, we do see very large livestock herds. We've got an end to a lot of DDG production. So we're going to have guys looking for alternate feedstuffs. Looks like Neil might pick up some of that demand. As you look out here over the next month or so in both old and new crop soybeans, do you think we found a position of value down here with prices and, and we might at least find a base? The, the soybean market is so unpredictable. I think soybeans have some potential. Um, but when we're looking at this, we're probably going to at this export pace unless China really steps up. We have risks about even making that right now, right? Um, we're behind on the export pace in the U.S. And so there's all these other problems. And then there's the fact about, and I don't know the answer to this yet, whether it's going to depend on it and how the producer perceives the upcoming markets is how many soybean acres go in the ground in the U.S., right? Um, any disruptions in planting could quickly sway that unpredictably as well, right? Here in Canada, we would look at the soybean market much different. I would look at it from a cash price perspective. Because crude prices are so under pressure, we're still dealing with soybeans around $12 to Hamilton for new crop, right? Because that low loony is really helping to boost us up here. So you're looking at two different markets in a lot of ways, Ontario and then the U.S. But China helping come to the market would be good. But... Um, I think we're still looking at those traditional weather market windows. And when it comes down to the soybean market, how high can soybean futures go if the livestock prices are completely under pressure, right? There is still questions around that, too. So I think there's lots of uncertainties. At, for the time being, it seems like corn and soybeans are in them together, right? And unfortunately, what the market's trying to do is, the question to ask yourself, Mike, is does corn need to lose acres or does soybeans need to buy acres right now? And what's your take? What's your gut tell you right now? Well, I mean, corn, can we lose any more ago. acres at 350 December? The market, just, it seems like when you look at the action ever since basically that acres report, that corn's wanting to lose acres and it's kind of pulling soybeans down with it, right? And so I think mm-hmm. – some things could come up positive when we talk about soybeans. Um, soybean meal is one of those things, depending on how long this shutdown lasts for and what that does to the DDG's markets, right? And so there's definitely going to be substitution of protein, but um, and then you also have the fact that South America could have logistical problems at any time due to the coronavirus and et cetera. We're already seeing that a little bit. Um, Crush margins and the crush in the U.S. was still strong heading into this. So there's lots of good stories with soybeans, and I thought that for a while, right? But for the time being, the problem is that it's very much married to, um, you know, it's just like we're in it together. Soybeans and corn seem like they're in it together right now as well. And Matt, I know that grains are definitely your specialty, but you did mention livestock. So I wanted to ask your quick take here, looking at the April live cattle contract or just cattle in general, the live cattle market in general, are they probing for a bottom anytime soon? Is there any reason for them to find support at current levels or here anytime over these next few weeks? Well, the thing is that it's not the cattle markets and markets in general, and the same with milk, right? or any of those, it's not necessarily a demand problem 
Well, it is to an extent because of the restaurant closing and whatever else. So if, this is what makes it so unpredictable in a lot of ways is that these are all supply chain problems, right? And mm-hmm. uncertainty, like here in Ontario, we're starting to see problems in the Quebec plants and all emails starting to um, mm-hmm. close down and then contracts that need to be shipped there. So you're seeing some problems more with all the concerns that we could see, right? And yeah, so I don't know. I would hope that that would be the case. That would really help out. I mean, there's lots of positive ways that in a long run that this all fares well for agriculture, in my opinion. But right now, we just kind of have to work through it. So to answer your question, I think um, we, we should be able to get somewhere close to that shortly. I hope so. But there's so much. This is unprecedented territory, what we're seeing right now, right? Absolutely. That's the challenge we're in right now. It makes an economist's job very difficult when you're in new territory. But Matt Pott, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today and to fill us in from your perspective up there in Ontario. Before we let you go, how can folks get uh, get caught up on the Grain Perspectives newsletter? Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Matthew Pott or sign up for a trial at um, www.grainperspectives.com. Fantastic. Matt, thanks again for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, you're welcome. Have a wonderful day. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Matt Pot. Always good to get his perspective. Have him on the podcast and do be sure to follow him on Twitter if you're not already doing so. But you should also definitely be following along with Ag News Daily on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're not doing that already, go ahead and find us at Ag News Daily. Absolutely, Delaney. That is the name of the game, folks. Keep caught up. Like we said, if you've got any connections to the uh, slaughter plant workers who are frustrated with the uh, working conditions, drop us a note. We'd love to talk about that in a future episode. But with that, Delaney House, we let the people go. Let's let them go.